Welcome to the Green Lectionary Podcast, a production of Creation Justice Ministries. The Green Lectionary is a conversation on scripture through the lens of creation justice. My name is Derek Weston, and today we'll be looking at a text from the Revised Common Lectionary for the first Sunday of Advent. As part of our observance of Advent, Creation Justice Ministries will be looking at the theme, Creation Bears Witness. For this episode, I am joined by two guests, Deborah Reinstra, English professor at Calvin University in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and author of Refugia Faith, Seeking Hidden Shelters, Ordinary Wonders, and the Healing of the Earth, and Ched Myers, an author and activist in social change movements for over 40 years and the editor of Watershed Discipleship, Reinhabiting Bioregional Faith and Practice. The three of us will be looking at Mark 13, verses 24 to 37, through the lens of creation justice. Before we jump into our show, I want to give a quick plug for one of Creation Justice Ministries' other programs, Blue Theology. Blue Theology is a place where current science and marine biology meets the theology of creation justice. Each summer, we host youth groups to engage in experiential learning, service projects, and contemplative practice with God's marine creation. We have several locations across the country, and registration for the outposts is open. To learn more, go to www.bluetheology.com. The songs of the water, land, and sky resound Cause together we're all bound Within these pages There's always new life to be found All right, so our passage for this week is uh, for the first week of Advent. Uh, we're looking at Mark chapter 13, verses 24 to 37. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the son, but only the father. Beware, keep alert. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. All right, so. Deborah, since you are the you are the green lectionary veteran here, um, let me start with you. Um, <laughs> where right. is where is creation in this passage? Oh my, nothing like starting out Advent with quite a bang, right? I mean, <laughs> oh. All right, preachers, you know you have to preach this one on the first Sunday of Advent when everyone's feeling jolly and they want to sing "Joy to the World." Um, well, I I think to see creation in this one, we need to go back to the beginning of the chapter. Hope that's allowed. Um, And realize that Jesus and the disciples are on the Mount of Olives Mm. while he's talking to them. So creation is right under their feet. And this comes on the heels of uh, Jesus and the disciples. This is the the transition point in Mark between Jesus' ministry and Mark's passage, uh, passages on the passion. So this is the transition point. And the disciples were walking around in Jerusalem, looking at the temple, and they were very impressed. Wow, the temple has such huge stones. Look at these stones. Oh, my gosh, it's amazing. And Jesus says, kind of a bummer here, but he goes, yeah, um, this is all going to be destroyed. Hmm. And then they go up to the Mount of Olives, and the text says they, they, they are opposite the temple. And I think that's really interesting because it it puts them outdoors in a position to have perspective on the institution, right? On the religious Mm. institution, the gigantic, impressive symbol of the religious institution. So they're sitting there under the fig, under the olive trees, 
maybe there's a fig tree there too, because there's a reference later. Sitting there under the olive trees, looking at the temple, and Jesus is saying, it looks powerful, but it's transient. Um, so that's one place, and I'm, I'll let maybe Chad do some uh, do some more riffing on that. But they're they're sitting there outdoors, opposite the temple. Mm. Yeah, um, <clears throat> and if you've ever been on the Mount of Olives, you realize that you are overlooking the city of Jerusalem and the temple is right there in, in your foreground and you're looking across a very ancient cemetery down the hillside. Uh, <clears throat> so it's, it's, uh, it's quite a, a setting. Um, apocalyptic texts, of course, tend to make mainstream church folk um, feel a little faint um, or a little nervous. <laughs> even when not in uh, the Christmas season. Um, but in every lectionary cycle, the last couple of Sundays of ordinary time are actually apocalyptic texts. Um, I call it the apocalyptic season that bridges the end and the beginning of the world, as well as the liturgical year. Um, <clears throat> so Advent, obviously inaugurates a new lectionary cycle and year, and the gospel reading always invokes the respective uh, synoptic versions of the apocalypse, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, before turning to the ministry of John the Baptist in second advent. So today we have the second half of Mark's little apocalypse, um, Deborah was alluding to how that opens up uh, on the Mount of Olives. <clears throat> the first part of that text actually occurs at the very end of year B, the end of ordinary mm -hmm. time. So again, there's that, that, that brief apocalyptic focus of the lectionary functions to help us look at the end of the world as we prepare for the world to be born anew in Advent and Christmas tide. And um, in our text, there's all kinds of um, earthy and cosmic spectacles happening. And it's not hard to correlate apocalyptic images like these um, with climate catastrophe. Yeah. Um, the, the stars are falling. Interestingly, the root of our term disaster um, hmm. comes from oh, yeah. that very phrase, right? From aster or stars in Greek. The, Stars are falling mm. in a in a disaster. Um, mm. So, lots of lots of earthy and uh, and sky stuff in in this text for sure. Mm. I actually did not know that. I yeah, I, I wasn't thinking about that. Um, that is mm -hmm. that is a really helpful um, exploration of that, and and I think one of the things that I'm always struck by with these apocalyptic texts is nature reversing mm. that we get we get nature nature sort of going against uh creation sort of going against itself going against its mm -hmm. nature going against its um so the sky blacks out and and things that have been stable are suddenly not stable and that's mm -hmm. the way that we know that things are being shaken up it's by the things that we can we have counted on in the natural world to be steady, to be stable. Um, and and you know, as as you were, Chad, as you were making the connection to climate change, you know, I think that's that's the thing that I think about as um as a gardener, you know, one of the th conversations that is kind of regularly happening is are our growing zones changing right. um and, and we're actually seeing these things that were thought to be pretty stable in our in our uh in our day-to-day -day lives and pretty stable in in the flow of humanity um all of a sudden not be so stable all, all of a sudden not be so reliable um and so there's there's this beautiful um and and terrifying yeah. Um, image of nature kind of doing the opposites of of what we expect. Mm -hmm. We want we wanted um, 
in this season of Advent, so one of our one of our themes for Advent this year at Creation Justice Ministries is creation bearing witness. Mm. And so I'm kind of interested in asking both of you, in what ways do you see creation in this story bearing witness? And take that wherever, however you want, and take that wherever you want to go with it. Yeah. One of the frustrating things about this chapter is that at, at first, it seems that Jesus is contradicting himself. Mm. So the disciples see the temple. Jesus says, all right, it's going to be destroyed. And then they say, really, when? And then it sounds like he's saying, okay, well, all these things are going to have to happen. So, you know, get your checklist ready. And it's wars and rumors of wars and nation against nation. And then, you know, the sun will be darkened and the stars falling, the heavenly bodies shaken. And then he gives the example of the fig tree. But then he says, oh, actually, no, never mind. Nobody knows. So it sounds like he's saying, look, there's going to be all these signs. Here's all the signs, but never mind. No one knows. So it feels like a contradiction. But I think if you if you look back at the beginning of the chapter before the passage that we're in, all of the things that Jesus mentioned, all these things have to happen. They're always happening. They're just happening in different contexts. So sure, uh, wars and rumors of wars, um, many will come. So false prophets, right? Corruption within the religious establishment. Um, earthquakes, yeah, <laughs> always. We're having earthquakes in Iceland right now. Um, and then, you know, the brother against brother, betrayal, conflict. Um, and then you get to these, these passages, verses 14 and so on, about refugees. Mm. And Chad, you know, I agree with you. You read those now and you think, climate refugees, you know? Mm woe unto the pregnant women and the nursing mothers in those times let's hope mm. it's not in the winter i read in a commentary that really that that's a problem because in the winter the rivers are flooded so that people can't cross to get out of wherever they're trying to get refugees right i mean so all of these things are always happening so that just reminds us, I think, that an apocalypse is not, these apocalyptic literature, apocalyptic literature isn't really about predicting the future. It's about unveiling dynamics that are always happening. Um, years ago, I read this wonderful novel. Um, it's called Post-Rapture Radio. It's by a guy called Ruth, Russell Rathbun. Um, it came out back when uh, all the cool churches were emerging. Remember when churches were emerging all over the place? Yeah. So <laughs> this was a very interesting, weird work of fiction that's actually a reading of the book of Revelation. Um, but it's set in a, I don't know, it's hard to explain. But anyway, there's a character in it who is kind of an avatar of John of Patmos. And he's called Idiot John in the book. And at one point in the book, and I've never forgotten this, another character says, is this the end of the world? And idiot John says, it usually is. Mm. And I just thought, oh my gosh, yes, <laughs> it usually is. But it is tempting right now with climate change looming over us to think, yeah, but maybe this really is <laughs> the end of the world, right? Maybe this is really it. Um, but, you know, even now, I think Jesus would say, you don't know. You don't know. So what do we do in the meantime? And the answer is be faithful and keep watch. So we watch the fig trees, you know, we watch for signs, but these signs are always happening. So maybe one of the things we can talk about is like, what are we watching for right now? Hmm. I don't know if I have the answer to that. Hmm. Yeah, thanks, Deborah. I, and I want to return to the uh, way this passage ends in its dialectic of urgency and, and patience. Mm. Um, and uh, <clears throat> what time is it? Don't look at your clock kind of stuff. <laughs> um, but, you know, we, we all, all too often, I think, um, apprehend ecological disasters around us as something happening to us. Mm -hmm. rather than being engineered by us. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I, th I think it's interesting that, um, you know, apocalyptic, as Derek, you said at the outset, is kind of like nature um, in disarray or in revolt. Mm. Uh, and the biblical idea of nature in revolt actually doesn't or originate with the apocalyptic literature, but rather with the Exodus liberation mm. story, mm. right? That old wise tale uh, is about enslaved Hebrews struggling for liberation against Pharaoh's oppressive regime, which of course is quite a mismatch, but the creator has animated this movement and animates creation to align itself against the empire mm. in a series of escalating plagues that ultimately pressure the tyrant to relent. And, mm. and I, I think this very profound notion of nature against empire lies in the background mm. of yeah. Marx's description of the cosmos unraveling. And it's obviously not too difficult to see the relevance of a text like this with the backdrop in Exodus for our moment of how the empires of today are oppressing both people and creation, something in which each and all of us are deeply implicated. So, um, you know, from a green lectionary point of view, I think an interesting thread is to look at how nature uh, is God's agent mm -hmm. in waking us up. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> uh, the, a quick note about the phrase, the powers in heaven being shaken, right? The powers above is an ancient metaphor, uh, still used today, though, for the highest and deepest structures, systems, and authorities. Yeah. Um, and so those being disrupted actually represents a hopeful and necessary thing. Mm. Um, that uh, kind of harkens onto Ernesto Cardinal's great reading of the apocalypse from Central America back in the 1970s and 80s where he was, where all the campesinos in Central America were celebrating the, the fall of the empire, mm -hmm. right? So that, that means that, you know, disaster for an extractive racist and violent society can mean liberation for those who uh, are on the underside of those systems. Um, so that's a, you know, that's a dialectic that I think our scriptures um, really understand um, because of where these texts come from in their own social location. For us, however, we have to keep in mind that, you know, poor and marginalized people are experiencing the destructive effects first and worst from mm -hmm. the climate changes that are driven by overdeveloped societies. So um, it's, uh, it's a dance of consciousness that, that we have mm -hmm. to um, really, really pay attention to. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was a, a note in the wisdom commentary, which I took a look at, which, by the way, Chad, you were quoted in. Maybe we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, exactly what you're saying. Heavenly bodies were understood to sanction the empire and its rule. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. They were essentially gods. The heavenly bodies were gods to the pagans. So they were seen to. So when they right when there's a kind of disruption in them, it's a signal of disruption in the rule yeah, yeah. of the empire. Mm -hmm. mm. So, so if creation has agency in trying to awaken us, then it's interesting that verses 26 to 28, right on the heels of all these images of cosmic disruption, um, calls us to pay attention to all of these um, perennial cycles of nature, clouds gathering, mm. four winds blowing, leafing fig tree branches, right? Mm. Um, and I think it's really important for um, particularly those of us who have def been deformed by Western dualism to remind ourselves how theologically symbolic images like these are, and they mm. are being used symbolically, mm. obviously the fig tree um, mm. and so on. <clears throat> but all of these symbols are in the first instance um, rooted in the natural world mm -hmm. and throughout his ministry as you all know and as the green lectionary um, attempts to constantly remind us Jesus is calling us to pay attention to nature mm -hmm. to learn mm -hmm. from her in order to discern how to be human to mm -hmm. learn its lessons in the case 
of the fig tree. But uh, obviously our modern socialization into individualism and autonomy and te technological supremacy have prevented us from seeing this old wisdom and continue to make us blind to the increasingly shrill ways that creation is trying to get mm. our attention. Mm. And I know so much of the Green Lectionary is constantly um, uh, saying this refrain, we've got to listen, we've got to pay attention mm. to what mm -hmm. creation is trying to say to us. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I really, that is kind of the heart of what we're trying to do here. And, mm. but Chad, you, you <laughs> among the brilliant things that you said, um, there, there is this tension here of these these upheavals of creation in some ways are hopeful because they mean the upheaval of, of empire. And yet, as we're watching, as we're paying attention, we recognize that that upheaval of empire first and foremost affects the most vulnerable mm -hmm. first and foremost affects those who are are most oppressed by the empire and so we can we can we can have our image of this apocalypse and, and maybe even a hopeful image of this apocalypse and yet we also have to be on the watch for those who are going to be hurt most as the empire um is shaken and 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 sh and and turned on its head mm -hmm. that's a that's a real challenge like that's a real challenge yeah that's a real tension of 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 wanting to see these oppressive systems fall and recognizing that like the the death throes of these systems the most vulnerable will be hurt in them and that's yeah. That's really challenging. That's really challenging. Mm -hmm. It is the way things are, right? Mm -hmm. And that includes the disruption of the religious establishment too. Yeah. yeah. Right? The breaking down of the temple. And in some ways, so the Jewish temple and the Roman Empire, right, two different things. But in some ways, there's some collaboration. So there's there's sort of this tension between the way we like to talk about it at my house is the church of empire. Mm and the church of refugia is the words we use at our house, but um, we're, we're getting a pretty good list of things to keep watch for here, I think, mm. right? The suffering of those who are sort of crushed in the disruption, the signs of the disruption of empire, where and to what extent the religious establishment is complicit in the abuses of empire, what the created world is telling us, in its revolt. And I wonder if we can connect that too to the prophetic writings, the Old Testament prophetic writings that so clearly connect the faithfulness of God's people with the wholeness and harmony of the created world, the natural world, and their moral failures with the uh, put potential more harshness of the natural world right mm -hmm. so when mm -hmm. when the people of god are obeying god then the land blesses them and it's mm -hmm. healthy when they're not obeying god the lands and the waters don't supply what they need they mm -hmm. suffer famine and drought so there's a kind of connection between the moral status of human mm -hmm. beings and the health of land and water um, and of course, when it's unhealthy, then people suffer. So we're not really seeing that connection in this text, but it's in the background. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So that disruption, you know, as you say, we see the earth in revolt, but the earth suffers too from mm. the disruption of empire. Yeah, People do, the earth does. Every war is extremely disruptive of yeah. uh, the natural world. So um, this is just the truth of tragedy, right? The powerful mm. people do do wrong things and everybody suffers. This is why Shakespeare tragedies wind up with, you know, bodies on the stage. <laughs> I mean, right? <laughs> tragedy is sort of a conservative genre, I tell my students, in the sense that classical tragedy is meant to reinforce the values, the deep values of a society. 
But in order to do that, there has to be this kind of purging. And then there's a sort of reforming of the social fabric at the end. But that doesn't mean things don't get damaged and killed mm. and innocent people suffer. Um, that's just a truth about mm. human experience. And so I think those are things to keep watch for, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and to remember <clears throat> the context of texts like this in which... Um, the people writing this stuff um, and reciting it in the first few centuries are uh, are not middle class North American churchgoers. Mm -hmm. They are people who knew the business end of imperial violence every single day, yeah. um, and and so that um, that invites and challenges us to um, return to. To Derek's conundrum, which is, mm. you know, how how do we respond morally um, to apocalyptic violence in a way that isn't eschatological? And mm. what I mean by that is, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Um, uh, I began uh, almost fifty years ago my activist life working in the anti-nuclear weapons movement. Um, you know, that was apocalyptic stuff, still is, mm. to contemplate. Mm. Um, but what was happening in the late 70s and early 80s was that you had a bunch of white North American activists talking about, going to, in, in great gruesome detail about what would happen if a hydrogen bomb exploded over Chicago or Baltimore or Los Angeles. Um, and, and trying to imagine this eschatological violence and, and, and find in that the courage to resist these weapons. Well, that's, that's not entirely misguided, but it um, is privileged because um, what I found out in, uh, after a few years in, in what was a huge conversion for me was that actually the, the nuclear weapons industrial complex is actually killing people right now um, without a bomb ever being dropped through mm. nuclear waste dumping, through uranium mining on indigenous lands, uh, waste dumping uh, in Pacific Islands, um, uh, and very dramatically nuclear testing um, on indigenous peoples in uh, places like Micronesia. Uh, and so, how do you how do you um, <laughs> try to build a resistance to these things? from the perspective of those who are actually experiencing the mm. violence now. Mm -hmm. And uh, here, 40 years later, um, I so often hear the echoes when I hear um, middle-class white folks talk about um, climate catastrophe and immediately um, hold a retreat around grief. Um, <laughs> now, that that's not a bad spiritual thing to do, but um, we're we're grieving what you know might be experienced by our children and grandchildren, and ignoring the fact that people right now mm -hmm. um, in all the low low lying countries of the world, mostly um, people of color, um, <clears throat> are experiencing um, climate catastrophe. There, right? The, as you said, Deborah, there's there's climate refugees being generated by the tens of thousands. Um, wars are now being fought um, because, because of climate issues. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I think somehow we, we have to, in, as we talk about this in our churches, we have to at every point emphasize that um, climate catastrophe is now for huge sectors of our population. And how do we stand with those folks? So I love, um, you know, the, the, the poetic um, uh, closing of the circle of the Marshallese victims of nuclear testing that I worked with um, in the 80s, um, <clears throat> who were really my mentors, uh, is that their children now are working with climate change activism. And their slogan is, the seas are rising and so are we. Mm -hmm. uh, same slogan that's being used in the American South. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and that is, those are the movements we want to be um, walking with and learning from. 
as as we think about climate um, apocalypse that in one way we can let, let's allow our eschatological imaginations to um, envision a world transformed but in the here and now uh, mm. let's stand with um, those those women standing at the well who are pregnant who can't flee that you were invoking Deborah uh, and <clears throat> and that's a harder sell um, in in predominantly white churches where we we kind of want to move right to uh, kind of meditations of eschatological grief and and <laughs> so on without actually figuring out how to um, resist this thing here and now. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's getting too far away from the lectionary. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we do, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? We're giving people ways to, to start with the scripture and then make something that really speaks to the people in their congregation or their, their group, their faith community. Um, so two things there, you know, I, I, I think the, the grief that privileged middle-class often white people feel is many things but i think it's worthwhile to name the grief of losing our sense of security and our assumption of progress yeah. and you know perpetual affluence or whatever right part mm -hmm. of what is happening now in lots of arenas not least with climate change is this sense of, oh, I thought I was secure. I thought everything would go along fine for me and my children and grandchildren. Maybe not. Yeah. And so suddenly, you know, like welcome to the rest of the world, right? Yeah. So to connect that, to name that and then say, there are people for whom the end of the world came 400 years ago when they were stolen from the west coast of Africa. There are people for whom the end of the world came in 1492 when Europeans turned up, right? People are always living through the end of the world. Now you're just feeling just a little bit what it's like to have that sense of insecurity. So let's, as you say then, you know, let's acknowledge that and learn from them. Um, and I wonder, Chet, if you would, Tell us a little bit about the phrase that got quoted in the commentary that I read by you, uh, revolutionary patience. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that a little bit. Well, I, you know, that's certainly not my phrase. It's been used um, for decades in, particularly in situations where people are struggling for social change in contexts of severe oppression that, um, to um, particularly when you come to the insight uh, of you know if I if I pick up a gun to try to change the world I'm actually only going to strengthen mm. the powers of militarism mm. uh, but what in, if I don't pick up a gun or a bomb or or whatever what what does revolutionary patience mean how mm. is it both patient and revolutionary and I, I think that's exactly the conundrum that our text for this Sunday leaves us with, right? It's, mm -hmm. it says, as you pointed out, Deborah, it's, it's a dialectical warning. On one hand, these disasters are on us. They're taking us to the edge, toward the end of business of usual. Um, but on the other hand, Jesus counsels us not to spend precious bandwidth trying to calculate the chronology or timeline of the end game. Mm -hmm. And there's there's nothing more odious than um, <clears throat> wealthy middle-class um, conservative Christians speculating about end times timelines from the comfort of their mm. couches. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that's exactly what Jesus tells us not to do. He, he challenges us to live urgently in the kairos, right? There's this interesting mm dialectic between mm -hmm. chronos, linear time, and kairos, the, mm -hmm. the moment, uh, the kairos of now. And, and I love his double warning, be open-eyed, don't fall asleep. <laughs> and then he closes with this parable, which our text closes with, which mm -hmm. illustrates an everyday scenario about what this exhortation might mean. 
It means to be vigilant at the threshold, right? Stand at the door, at the threshold, in that liminal space. It means to keep watch, which means to be available. It's kind of an all hands on deck <laughs> challenge <laughs> um, to be keeping vigil through the night of history, no matter how dark and dangerous. <laughs> and the parable ends the litany with one more refrain, this time directed toward everyone. What I say to you, I say to all, remain awake. So every time I hear the culture culture wars flame i want to scream at the heart of our gospel is a theology of staying woke and here it is <laughs> right, right here in this text i'm serious so let yeah. us shrink from such language just because it gets demonized and trivialized by adversarial cultural warriors jesus calls us to insomniac discipleship <laughs> And nice. that challenge, I really, friends, I believe that our churches, that should be the first and last word in our churches these days, insomniac mm -hmm. discipleship. Mm -hmm. And I love, um, <clears throat> I love this Sunday's gospel, and not only because I'm a Mark geek, I love it because it really does some heavy lifting mm -hmm. to help us week in and week out in the pulpits mm -hmm. and the pews to make that happen in our proclamation and practice. We are people who will not sleep through this apocalypse, but we will be all hands on deck because that is where we are called to be. That's Amen. so good, so good. Yeah. Um, we've touched on this a little bit, but I, I, I do wanna, I wanna make sure that we, we do so directly. Um, how is God calling us to interact with creation in this passage? I feel like we've 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 touched on the edge of it a few times, but how is God calling us to interact with creation? Well, I if you're going to flee, just, do it in the summer. I, I, do, I believe you just wrote a book on that, Deborah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tried to. Um, yeah, what does it mean to? Maybe we could go back to this keeping watch. I'm, I'm thinking of Ellen Davis, who comes up every time we do this, right, Derek? Um, <laughs> Ellen Davis's insight about Genesis 2.15, that uh, Abad and Shamar are more than just serve and protect, but also observe. Mm. And this call to be observant, that yeah. that is part of vocation, our vocation as mm. caretakers. Also the central yeah. discipline of permaculture. Yeah, or science, right? I mean, it, right, but, it, that, but observing in a caring and uh, mutually beneficial sort of way. Um, so part of the keeping watch here is to watch um, the rest of the created world, watch its signs and signals and pay attention and don't cocoon ourselves in the comforts of modern life, which I definitely appreciate, um, but to listen to what the earth is telling us right now. That's part of keeping awake at a time of disaster right a time of disruption and and to do what the creation is telling us to do which is to stop doing the things that are that are causing all this disruption mm -hmm. Amen. <clears throat> my um <clears throat> this this gets real existential for me real fast um we uh we moved from, I, I, I was raised in, in the megalopolis of Los Angeles and uh, worked um, in social justice stuff on the streets there for decades. And in, uh, <clears throat> when I turned 50, I really wanted to see if I could apprentice myself to some of the last remaining relatively intact um, habitat 
left in Southern California. And so we moved to um, the coastal chaparral uh, north uh, of North Ventura County to a little blue collar community. And uh, <clears throat> I have to say in my first 10 years or so here, um, I learned more from learning to plant and tend native plants and medicines and grow food in this arid environment um, than I was learning from theology books. Um, but in 2017, the apocalypse was now. The Thomas fire burned through our bioregion with a suddenness and a ferocity that uh, veteran firefighters said they had never seen. Um, it was at the time the largest wildfire in the history of California. It was quick, quickly eclipsed um, in the following three years by bigger fires. But the Thomas fire, um, I kept vigil one night um, in our yard with my neighbor after everybody had evacuated. Um, <clears throat> you know, that thing where you try to make sure that embers aren't gonna land on your roof and that kind of thing. And, um, and I remember getting up at the 3 a.m. watch and walked to the street and looked out over the dry riverbed. This was December and the aridity was 1%. Mm. That's climate crisis. Yeah. And this, this ring of fire was literally 360 degrees mm. around us. And I just, um, you know, that vigil is just seared uh, into my consciousness. Uh, <clears throat> And, and so I, I like, Deborah, what you've tried to do in your book of finding spaces to vigil mm. in and with the natural world, to bear witness with the natural world against um, imperial climate change. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> and and that, is, that is excruciating work because you are seeing beloved places yeah. um, destroyed. You are seeing beloved people displaced. I had lots of friends who lost their homes. Oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, um, and yet to stay awake to that um, mm -hmm. has, um, I guess, supercharged commitments we already had around water and soil um, um, mm. retention and... <clears throat> um, wise use of, of resources, both at a household and, and yard and local political level. Mm. Um, we, it, it is, we are called, you know, in our watershed discipleship work, Deborah, we, we talk about what would it mean for our church parishes to take on watershed identities? Well, I think this is part of that. It, our mm. spirituality is fundamentally formed not only by um, you know, the beauty of one's watershed, but especially yeah. by its sorrows mm. and its captivities, um, the, the steelhead struggling to swim upstream in, um, in dammed rivers and <clears throat> uh, invasive plants crowding out uh, natives and, uh, and all the rest of it, which only mirrors the sociological realities of those yeah. same forces. Um, so bearing, bearing witness does, I believe, um, call us to not just think about it, but to figure out where do we stand and who do we stand with and how are we mm -hmm. working to remediate harm um, and to change the forces that are killing us. And that's sometimes gonna involve um, getting involved in some some um, uh, resistance that's going to cost mm. us. Mm. And I believe all of that is what we are called to in this text. Mm. It's a wonderful place to think about the shift from what you're saying before about how it seems like these events are happening to people, and in many places they are. But in where's the point where the, the watching turns to doing? Mm -hmm. And if if apocalypse is a kind of uncreating and God's redemption is a recreating, a renewal of this beloved creation, then 
when does it turn from watching to witnessing to God's intentions or recreating and to start the repair of your watershed and of the systems that have created um, the pollution and the disadvantaging of um, lower income people and your watershed or whatever. Um, so I wonder, I wonder if this Advent season is the time to keep watch and be horrified, you know, to notice. And then as the, as the season turns and we have the incarnated, the incarnate Christ, um, beside us, right. In kinship with us, mm-hmm. that's the moment where we see, ah, this is God recreating, right. Um, John, mm-hmm. John one is the, the reiteration of Genesis one and the word becomes flesh and sets up camp among us. And that's what empowers us to actually make the turn from watching in horror <laughs> to participating with the risen Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, in the work of recreating that God is already doing. Mm-hmm. Well, and if the end of the world is always happening, <laughs> then the start of the new world is likewise always yeah. happening. And I think yeah. that's a that's a beautiful challenge for us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just just very quickly before we move on to the last question, you know, when I think of this passage and how God is calling us to interact with creation, there's a big assumption in this, you know, I, I there's a big assumption in this passage um uh, when we talk about the section on the fig tree, which is that we know what creation is doing. Mm. And and again, talking about our 21st century West, Western world, our removal from nature, our remove from the created world, we don't know those signs that the fig tree has for us about the seasons. And we don't know, you know, we, we can't interpret the signs because we don't know nature mm. that well. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the things that, you know, there's a part of, and I, I think it comes back to that. Uh, I, I love that you brought in um, the observation, that part of it is like, we have to redevelop our observational skills, our our being with nature and observing nature, because we have lost that. Mm-hmm. We can't read what that fig tree is. We don't know what that fig tree is yeah. doing. Um, and we need to be called back to that. Mm. And of course, when that happens, as Aldo Leopold said, ecological awareness, you're, you're alone in a world of wounds, except you're not mm. alone because mm. there are a lot of people who notice the world's wounds. Um, and we, we have to notice those wounds together, but just, you know, be ready because when you start looking and learning, you're going to start seeing the wounds too. That's right. That's right. And and I just want to say, um, <clears throat> churches can do that uh, right now. They can embrace the insomniac discipleship by um, <clears throat> remediating their own brick and mortar in their churches and putting in a community garden. Mm-hmm. Um, look at what your uh, local hero, Heber Brown, has done, uh, Derek, there in Baltimore with mm-hmm. the Black Sovereignty Food Justice Network, you know, getting black churches to plant, put gardens in each each of those churches. I mean, churches have this community property. It's it's uh, it's so public that it turns out to be a form of evangelism uh, to to share good news about how the earth can regenerate itself. Tear up your lawn, tear up part of your parking lot, put in a put in a garden. Um, <clears throat> these are things that we can do now. And uh, or or maybe in spring, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, and Derek, I want you to to, to talk about what what uh, Reverend Brown has done because it's just so mm. amazing as a sign of hope in the midst of this stuff. Well, and and, and the Black Church Food Security Network, uh, led by Reverend Dr. Heber Brown III, um, is it, there's there's not enough time to talk about the good that uh that organization is doing but part of it is creating um is is getting churches to recognize the assets that they have 
um, whether that's uh, land, um, whether that's church vans, whether that's church kitchens, Mm -hmm. and recognizing that they have the resources within them to create the food sovereignty that their communities so desperately need. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that is uh, encouraging people to grow um, on their land. A lot of that is encouraging people in urban centers to form relationships with farmers in rural markets to create markets for those farmers and and provide healthy food for the folks who are in the urban centers. So there's relationships being built between urban urban centers and rural centers. Um, and 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 there's so much going on that um, is, and a lot of it is is just reintroducing people to land just reintroducing people to the idea of 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 and particularly for for um for us black people to say like the land uh in in a lot of ways is our birthright and a birthright that was taken from us and when we re when we heal our relationship to the land we in in fact heal a part of ourselves um, so yeah, I, I I can talk about the black food security network all day mm-hmm. long, um, but it's but it's great work, and and I, and I think it uh, talking about them and and talking about their work actually is a is a really good segue into our last question, and um, and that is where is there where is there a call to action for the church? And I think we've again we've we've hit on this a little bit, but I think um, there's a call to action to the church in in. Um, being observant and and not just watching but but doing but i want to i want to throw that back to you too um where is there a call to action to the church yeah i think we covered that really well already. <laughs> um i i do i i will say i i wonder about verse 26 the idea of the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Um, I, okay, hear me out here, but clouds, right? Mm. Does that mean the cloud like online? Like, you know, is the son of man coming in <laughs> the cloud? <laughs> um, I'm going to say no to that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Just a thought, right? Just a thought. Yeah. No, I, I think we're on the right track with, with where's the call to action. There's a lot of things to keep watch about, um, to attend to the signs of creation, um, but to attend to the people who are suffering first and worst um, because of that disruption. And maybe to to attend to that temple over there, you know, opposite, we're sitting opposite the temple in this moment of perspective and and ask ourselves, what is it about our church, our faith community that is complicit with empire? Mm. And mm. what is it, where are we actually being the faithful servants, keeping watch and um, being faithful and preaching the gospel and then making that move into insomniac discipleship and revolutionary patience and standing alongside and actually doing that healing work, taking that turn toward healing work that witnesses to the coming creation, you know, beyond the disruption. Um, so I, I think there's plenty of things to keep watch over. And then mm-hmm. it, at this time of Advent to just let that come to us, let our action, let our calls to action come to us during this time of Advent. And so really to kind of keep watch for the work of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and what the spirit is leading each faith community to do and to, to, to think about that work with a kind of apocalyptic courage. <laughs> yeah. Whatever that might mean. You know, in the, in the, uh, the old adage that if you want to make social change, follow the money. <laughs> uh, and I, that continues to be true, of course, but since uh, this text is the <clears throat> precursor to the introduction of the John the Baptizer and the Holy Waters by the River Jordan in the second advent. Um, I'd like to suggest that an action step for every single one of our churches is to follow the water. Uh, we are a baptismal tradition, but uh, <clears throat> we have, uh, our imaginations have shrunk around water to 
the little basin, the little faucet out of where our water comes from. We no longer baptize people in streams and ponds and rivers because they're too polluted. Um, we have conceded that terrain to, um, to the empire of pollution and extraction. Well, what if the church starts pushing back and say, actually, we, we want to reclaim our birthright to water and the new life that represents. And so let's start following the water. Let's follow it um, into out of our church and into our watershed. Where does it come from? Where does it go to? How is it treated? What's the status of our water? Um, how, how can we be better um, uh, stewards of our water? That's a good use of that term here um, because of its scarcity. Um, you know, there are, there are churches in Maryland who um, uh, were fined um, for uh, not uh, catching water um, and, and used a, a Christian rationale of, um, you know, we don't, we don't have to be, you know, it's, it's God's creation. We shouldn't have to pay taxes on water. Well, actually we do pay taxes on water. And if we want our water to be fresh and potable, um, we should not only pay taxes, but we should help to make sure that that water is of good quality. And so other churches in response, um, started doing rain catchment and doing um, permeable surfaces so that the waters would rightly flow back into the sound to recharge aquifers. Following, talk about the Holy Spirit, following the hydrologic cycle will teach us a lot <laughs> about the circulation of the spirit in, uh, in, in our world. And so one commitment during this advent, as we listen to John the Baptist, um, yell at us to pay attention uh, <laughs> is to figure out how to follow the water in the same way that uh, Dr. Brown follows the food sources in Baltimore uh, and thereby heals apocalypse's past present from the way in which the Africans were worked the land and then were disenfranchised from the land to the way in which those same urban populations live in food deserts so to following the water um, will we'll teach us about all forms of justice, social and ecological. Mm -hmm. And um, we can listen to our indigenous neighbors. Um, one of the uh, most amazing movements right now in Indian country is water walking, praying with water as you walk along these rivers. And there are indigenous people leading water walks uh, pilgrimages with and along water um, all over. And uh, why aren't we Christians walking with them? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's such a deeply spiritual pilgrimage and can teach mm. us so much. So something as simple as following the water uh, can be a great action statement that can get everybody intergenerationally in the church involved, mm. uh, become becoming more literate in the actual forces that sustain us, right? Mini Winconi, water mm. is life. Uh, that's mm. that's something that maybe in uh, moving into 2024, we could uh, uh, really encourage uh, churches in the uh, Christian Justice Ministries Network to uh, mm. think about um, uh, doing. I know there have been great water initiatives and water policy initiatives um, that CGM has pursued. Uh, up until now and we can uh, we can go deeper and we can go wider yeah. I, I just really appreciate this opportunity to to be with with you all in this great green lectionary conversation oh, oh indeed and i i am so grateful for you both so grateful for your insight and wisdom um this has been such a rich conversation and um thank you Thank you. This has been um, absolutely uh, fantastic. And I, I hope that as people are preparing, not just for Advent 1, but as they're preparing for Advent, that they're preparing to take people um, on the journey of, of watching, of paying attention, of observing, um, and of staying awake, you know? Mm. Uh, so thank you for all of your great words today. Thank you, Derek. It's great fun, as yeah. always. Yeah. Thanks. Peace.
Thank you for joining us for the Green Lectionary Podcast. This episode was produced by Sprocket Wagner, and the music was provided by Christian McIver. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and help us spread the word with a good review. And leave us a comment to let us know how you've used the show and how we can make it more useful for your ministry. You can learn more about this and other programs of Creation Justice Ministries at creationjustice.org. Our story comes alive within these pages For every time and place throughout the ages God speaks and is heard in the enduring word Calls us to care for our world as we share the love that can set creation free. Restoring the earth to wholeness, peace, and harmony. Let the songs of the water, land, and sky resound. Cause together we're all bound Within these pages There's always new life to be found